0: You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home
1: of the all-weather fan.
0: My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid, Baltimoreans. Hello, first place, Baltimoreans. What a phrase you have just said, <laughs> Alan Smith. What a phrase. It's hard.
1: I didn't expect anyone to catch the Rays. Um, I certainly didn't expect anyone to catch the Rays on July twenty-first. What is happening, Sam? What? How do we make any sense of a team that started thirty and nine not going wire to wire? Let's start there.
0: Yeah, let's let's begin there, and let's also come to terms with with something here, Smith. It's very, very easy. I don't know if you've been feeling this way over the last, you know, uh, 18 hours or whatever <laughs> it's been since uh, we won the extra inning game. Um, Less. <laughs> it's very, very hours. easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I've, I've been up the whole time watching replays of that Gunnar Henderson throw that ended oh, the game.
1: Oh, <laughs> my goodness. And the uh, Urias, um, uh game-saving layout at second base.
0: Okay. Okay. Hot take hot take out of the gate here is ramon urias the todd fraser we thought todd fraser was going to be
1: <laughs> i uh had very Let's... very low hopes for todd Frazier. uh the todd father was never someone who i particularly was excited about so uh i would say he's he's twice the man that todd fraser ever was hoping to be
0: <laughs> well um let us come back to that comparison in a second. I think the the big question um that I've been wrestling with, low these however many hours it's been, yeah, is like, am i it's so tempting for me to go, um, well, clearly what's happening is predictable regression on the raise part. We are not good enough to be in first place, and we're just benefiting from their inevitable return to Earth, and it'll be a dogfight between the two of us the rest of the season, and oh God, and the, the Blue Jays. Jays are starting to put it together. And <sighs> and they'll probably win the division anyway, and yep. all of this is an illusion, and I, I should just um, find a new thing to be interested in for the late <laughs> summer. That, that's where my head goes. Yeah. Are you experiencing any of these feelings?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I had given up as of the Dodgers scoring first in the third game in our, in our three game series against them. Um, I had decided that we were exposed. I hated
0: that so much. We were
1: exposed. It was over and our starting pitchers were, were collapsing and we know that our middle relief is not enough to get us through anything. Once the starting pitchers can't go six and a half strong innings and, It's it was all over. It was all over. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. But, you know, one of the things about, I think, being a um, uh, an Orioles fan right now is that we well, first of all, we are programmed to assume the worst. That is that is a known that is a known factor. But I think also. um, Yes, yes, it is. The the um, the way that sports is absorbed right now. And the like reactions of absorbing the Orioles game, not only through watching it on Masson, but also through observing it on Twitter and also through checking in on sort of like multiple different 24 news cycle takes, is that it's sort of impossible to not overreact. I, I don't think like I don't think this is even just mm. Orioles fans anymore. I think we've changed baseball used to be a sport where like You'd check the box scores the next day and you would sort of like, I don't know. I don't think people were living and dying with like whether or not Dean Kramer was able to get out of the inning with 32 or 36 pitches quite so
0: much. Hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting. Wait, say more about that. Say more about that. What, What do you think? When do you think that change happened? I think that
1: the change of the way that we now consume all of our media and the way in which recency mm-hmm. bias, I mean, like, you, you know, people unironically are saying, like, here's an example for you, uh, across sport, people are like unironically saying that Dame Lillard is the greatest Portland trailblazer of all time. Um, and, you know, he's a very good basketball <laughs> player. He's like decent at, uh, he, he's he's above decent. He's, a, he's, a, he's an all-star. He's very, he is very talented. But like the recency bias of that to erase like, your Clyde Frazier's and your uh, uh, Demontis Sabonis's and even your your um, your your Bill Walton's is like people have this need for the moment that we are currently in to be the greatest or the worst sports moment yeah. ever, and I think that the that the the way that that sort of plays out in baseball watching is like either the guy who is currently pitching is a scrub or he's the goat and like there isn't a lot of space <laughs> for um uh I mean you know in, de- here's another example Orioles Twitterati was absolutely um baying for Colton Cowser to be called up absolutely baying I would say that like you know people were were calling <laughs> Elias nasty names and they were saying like You know, this team doesn't really care. They don't want to win. Are we just like waiting for his clock? Like, what is this loser Bush League mentality? Mm -hmm. And then he gets called up and he goes 0 for 15, which is a very reasonable thing for happening to somebody who is just making the transition to the big leagues. People are baying for him to be designated for assignments. Calm the fuck down. That is is 15 at-bats against major league (laughs) pitchers, people. (laughs) Relax relax anyway i, right, I, I guess right. I, I think that that, that yes whole and phenomenon and, is yeah go ahead
0: oh no i was just gonna say and ps that's how adley's career started out that's how gunner's season started out
1: yeah and whether or not you know colton causer becomes the next amazing prospect to make the jump to the big leagues we will we will discover but i don't think that um i don't think and maybe I'm maybe I'm being um, naive in my own sort of backwards lookingness but I don't think that's how baseball specifically was meant to be consumed <laughs> over 162 games mm-hmm. like you're going to go up you're going to go down like you're going to you're going to have you know we, we're going to talk a little bit about the Orioles new signing but I think one of the really interesting things about uh, trying to guess at whether or not he's going to be any good is looking at his season not with looking directly at his current ERA, which is a little high, but Ghastly. More, Ghastly. At, more at what that ERA, where that ERA has been trending of late, right? Like, that's maybe the yep. more interesting yep, question. Totally. Um, and, like, so I guess what I'm saying is, like, trends matter. Uh, individual games don't matter. It's super exciting to watch the Orioles come back and win 4-3, but I wish that we were doing it with slightly more... Um, like myself included, right? I, I am totally caught up in this. I wish I was doing it with a little more context and like not feeling quite so bent out of shape when we lose two straight games to an admittedly extraordinarily talented Dodgers team.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think, and I'm not surprised by this, Mr. Smith, but you've just said something extremely profound that we should all think about a lot more, which is the the way that you know twitter commentary culture and you know our own the podcast adventuring and um you know before that like blogging and stuff like that has really turned sports into a forum for fans to feel like they have interpretive abilities that are informed by anything more than emotion and recency bias when most of us <laughs> don't have that ability, right? Like, mo- like the the importance of having a Rock Kubatko who is in the clubhouse every day taking the temperature of the team. Like, I just read this piece in The Athletic by Britt Giroli, who used to be the Orioles' beat reporter and clearly still has some contacts there. Um, and she, the piece was basically about how... At some point, Kyle Gibson taught a bunch of the younger guys on the team how to play Monopoly. Uh, And this certain (laughs) version of Monopoly that um, I'm not familiar with called Deal Monopoly. I don't really know Uh. what that is. But um, that it started off him and Cole Irvin, and then periodically some of the other guys started coming over. And then all of a sudden now, late at night, when they are on the road – they will a bunch of them will get together in somebody's hotel room and play Deal Monopoly. Not go out on the town and you know get into whatever kind of trouble. Um, not even just you know lounge and be by themselves in their hotel rooms. Like they just kind of want to be together and be doing this and and hanging out with Kyle Gibson, who's probably got a lot of amazing stories to tell. Um, and she wrote this thing in the piece that I just thought was very simple, but very insightful, which is good teams like each other. Yeah. Um, and it occurred to me that what she is pointing out, I I don't want to discount, you know, all the work that the hitting coaches are doing, all the work that the pitching coaches are doing, all the work that Brandon Hyde is doing, Michael Elias, et cetera, et cetera, like drafting. Well, international scouting being improved, all this stuff. What she is pointing out is is probably as much as any of that the key to the season that we are all enjoying so much right now and is probably something we would all do well to think about if we lose two out of three to the Dodgers but don't get swept and, you know, have the foresight to have it happen when the Rays are also losing a series. <laughs> um,
1: and getting swept, nerds.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that there's this... There's this reality to the longevity and the actual grind of being a baseball team playing a full season that our – as you're pointing out, our media culture blinds us to and that there are these backstops there that like we just can't really know about unless, you know, really great reporters write pieces like that.
1: Yeah. I think that's also a very useful – um, you know, I think one of the things that we've been talking about on this podcast that that is so exciting to us about this team is this feeling that they are a bunch of, um, you know, maybe like the 2004 Boston Red Sox, silly idiots who don't know any better. Like there, there's a there's this a certain feeling uh-huh. of like, uh, why not? You know, not not exactly why not us? Cause I don't think it's even that coherent. But I would say, like, I get a real a real vibe <laughs> from this team. Of, like, mm-hmm. um, they are more concerned with having fun together, hanging out, and playing the game the right way than they are, like, with the, like, larger um, uh, media landscape of who is where in the power rankings and, uh, like, are we second or third? And has have we a past Tampa Bay, like in the ESPN power rankings or not, which we haven't right now, which why, whatever, it doesn't really matter. None of that matters to these guys, which I think is serving them in very good stead. Um, And I I just think that's kind Mm -hmm, of an interesting mm -hmm. thing to reflect on. Like I also got caught up in the feeling that if it wasn't Felix Bautista going two full innings we were going to lose that game um and that might have been yeah. true but it also might not have been mm-hmm. like you know who 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 knows that other people on this team have uh core competencies and maybe could have been doing things better than we suspect of them um mm-hmm. anyway i yeah I, I guess i guess i think that like that it 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 is something that I am feeling really strongly when I watch the team that, like, when Tampa Bay scored first in the first part of, like, the first inning of this game yesterday, I had a, like, why am I even doing this? I hate it. Like, this is, we're all going to collapse feeling. <laughs> I almost turned the game off. Yeah. Like, what What part of the, that's one run. What What are you doing, right. Alan? <laughs>
0: One run in a season where it th- th- this is what happens in every Orioles victory is the other team scores first. That's th- yep. we we have that we've almost declared that as a team philosophy. Like, give <laughs> them a small lead, <laughs> let them get comfortable. Those fools. <laughs> I
1: think that's right, and and I also think that like you know even it, 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 I, I imagine that the psyche of the team is actually a lot more like you win 50 games, you lose 50 games. And it's what happens in the other uh, 60 or 81, 62 games that matters. Like, I think that that's actually how this team goes about playing baseball. And uh, right now we're on pace to win all of those 62 games. (laughs)
0: Like all the
1: ones that matter. We're going to win. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I heard in the, um, I think this was still during the Marlins series. Uh, Brett Hollander was pointing out on the radio broadcast that the Orioles at this point, or maybe it was, it might've been Scott Garso, um, that the Orioles at at that point were in a position where if they went 500 the rest of the way, they would still win 91 games, Um, which, and 91 games in the American League East this year might not be good enough for a playoff berth. Um, but you'd still be close. You'd still be close, and it was just very interesting to go like, oh, they're probably going to go better than five hundred the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, like going becoming a five hundred team at this point would be like a lot of things would have to go wrong, and of course Cedric Mullins promptly got injured. But um, you know it, that would. It's, it's very likely that this team is going to play ahead of that pace, which it, it does mean that like a playoff contention is the most likely scenario right now. And and that is the result of that. Like that's not the result of us hand wringing ourselves into carpal tunnel syndrome on the internet after every relief pitching decision is made. So here's a question for you. Um, do you remember,
1: like, maybe we take 2014 as the most relevant, uh, like, the, you know, the, the, the height of the, the, whatever the year, the height of the Buck Walter era was. Um, or maybe you go back to 1997. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, either one of those two teams, or maybe both. My memory of the height of the Buck Walter era was, and that's not that long ago was that there was a lot of, like, you know, buckle up, and I back the birds, and I like our guys. And, like, that was sort of the fundamental, um, like, that was it. That was the fundamental way that many fans that I was engaged with were engaging with the team. People would get frustrated with, like, a player and be like, oh, he sucks, and they didn't really mean that. But I didn't feel like there was, like, a... um I didn't feel like everyone was going over every one of Showalter's moves, say, or every single at-bat by Adam Jones, say, with quite the same fine-tooth comb. Is that because I've forgotten about it? Or is that actually a change in, like, how we conceive of fandom over that window of about five years?
0: This is a really important question. And I, I think there's two answers for me. The first answer is... I think the collective Oriole fan trauma of the Encarnacion walk-off when Showalter left Jimenez in and didn't put in Britain. Um, I, I don't, don't know what think you're talking about. any of us... <laughs> That's called trauma, Smith. <laughs> um, I, I think... I think that we are not over that, and I don't know if we will ever get over that. I, I I, think in the moment, it was so bad that we wanted to pretend like, ah, this was just a momentary thing, anything could have happened. But looking back, like, the amount of damage it's, you know, and there's been some reporting about this, like the amount of damage that did to Walter's reputation in the clubhouse, the way that it exposed the... You know, very significant weaknesses lurking just under the surface of the organization in terms of how things were constructed, the way that it just vacuumed the life out of a period of seasons where things had been going really, really well. I think we're all clenching, waiting for that to happen again at all times. Mm. And I don't want to speak for everybody, but I kind of... Would be interested to know if other listeners feel that way. Like I, I think because that the dark was a moment where got
1: so dark after that too. Like it wasn't like we we like it, they that, did. The, 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 we were you know the trauma of the moment. If if the next season we'd come back and been presentable,
0: uh, that's one thing. But that was the beginning right. of a really dark window. It was and I think another thing that's important to keep in mind about that is the what we were told as that dark window opened was yawn. Everything that <laughs> has been happening to this point is is wrong. Um, this team has not been being uh, managed properly at the, um, in the dugout. This team has not been constructed properly at an organizational level. This team has not been assembled properly uh, from a philosophical standpoint in the front office. And we're not just tearing down the roster. We are remaking the entire front office In the image of other teams in baseball who have built a different kind of success than what you've seen here and things are going to suck for a minute and uh, the next time you see a successful Orioles team, it's all going to look completely different than anything you're accustomed to. I mean, and and that is what is what is now happening. Like all of that has come true. But so I think as a result of that, we have been sort of primed – this is the second part of my answer – I think we have been primed as fans to evaluate what's happening differently. To say like this isn't just sheer Showalter grit and Adam Jones bubblegum hustle and Manny Machado immaculate defense in spite of minimal apparent effort. Uh, on the field like Hmm. this is actually the result of a ground-up philosophical transformation and so it should be evaluated as such so i think that accounts for a lot of Hmm. all Hmm. of us on social media being armchair sabermetricians um armchair you know uh platoon advantage investigators Mm -hmm. because you know we've been told that that's the way this team thinks now Mm -hmm. um and I think it's why to, – to pivot ever so slightly, I think it's why the Shintaro trade did not make people – I mean, if you look as recently as last season, right, we trade away Mancini and Lopez, um, and everybody's like, They've, they have no plan. Like, th- this is a disaster, like <laughs> – We were just lucky to get this far. This is a classic Orioles, you know, fumbling around in a dark room with a blindfold on. Um, Obviously, that was not what happened. And already this midseason, you see the the Shintaro trade. And at first, people were like, yikes, that's a high (laughs) ERA. But then everybody was like, well, wait a minute now. Yeah. He has not. He's just been focusing on the fastball and the splitter. Hey, that's what Bautista does. Oh, actually, um, he hasn't given up a run in fifteen of his last twenty appearances. Oh, uh, he throws pretty hard. Um, the as you pointed out, like the trend lines of, of his performance have actually been amazing. This could actually be a, a textbook Elias Steele. We love Mike Elias. Like that, <laughs> yeah, cha- that no, change. No, that change is true. starting to happen. That's true. It was, uh, it was amazing. It was amazing to watch. Um, and I think it's, you know, there, there, I'm not going to sit here and call Michael Elias a genius, but I do think there is a way that genuinely innovative people in any field have a way of, without publicly saying what they're doing, but doing things in an innovative way over time it trains people who admire those people to try to like look figure out how their mm. mind works mm. um, and i think that's a little bit what's happening with elias is like you know right
1: we're all we're all remaking our fandom in, his turned, image in some ways
0: Yes, and having, you know, the fact that he has successfully made Tyler Wells and Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer into viable major league pitchers, the fact that he did not send Gunnar Henderson down when he was scuffling, but let him take the time he needed to fill it out, figure it out, the fact that he brought in, uh, the fact that he turned Yanir Cano into an all-star, the fact that he... Thinks there's something to Shintaro. I, it, his track record is strong at this point. Like it, it it's a strong yeah. track record. Yeah. So does that Aaron mean, Hicks? Let's put Aaron Hicks on that list too.
1: Uh, Ryan O'Hearn. Do you feel like that means you are, um, f- hoping for a couple more Elias steals over as we head into this break uh, or the 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 trade deadline? or do you feel like this team um is ready to make as much of a run as they're ready to make
0: i definitely uh, you know i would like to see shintaro throw a pitch before i an- anoint him the solution mm-hmm. um but i and i do think also that he alone is not going to be like at this point i don't feel like cnl perez is somebody i feel comfortable counting on for the stretch run i don't I am glad Brian Baker pitched well last night, but he has been sufficiently inconsistent that I don't really feel good about that. Like I'd love to see us get at least one more middle relief option in there. Um, In terms of a starting pitcher, you know, apparently the idea is, and this is maybe something we could talk about for a second. Apparently the, the, the idea is, Let's, let's give Grayson Rodriguez like, you know, three starts before the deadline. And if he can finally be the guy that we think he can be, maybe we don't have to worry so much about um, Lucas Giolito or Jordan Montgomery. Um, and I, I don't know. I, at this point, I'm sort of interested to see that play out. Like, I, I know that Grayson's final line in that Dodger start was not great. But for the first five innings that he pitched, he was very good. And, you know, this gets into like, oh, well, should we have pulled him a little bit earlier? Or maybe we should have let him see if he could struggle through that um, sixth inning. Um, it, It certainly did not feel, though, like... Oh god, he still doesn't have it figured out and and we we need a a better long-term mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. Um like to me the question is st- I'm I'm rambling, I guess. That to me the question is still is there a rental arm out there who is going to do a better job than Grayson Rodriguez? Or and,
1: or possibly is there a rental arm out there that allows us to go to a six-man rotation for a while and s- put fewer innings on a series of arms who have never gone into October. I I think that there is a reasonable case to be made. That's a good point. That like our current rotation, they're all looking right now, if these trends continue to like put a plus 50% on their career high innings pitched. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's right. an unknown. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't.
0: It's, a, it's an unknown for sure. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really good point and I real I'm realizing I I feel like I saw something somewhere earlier this year saying like oh the Orioles are are disinclined to go to a six man rotation and I sort of took that as gospel but hmm. um I wonder that what does not, if, I mean if it's true to this day Yeah I mean I could see that it you know in the spirit of deal monopoly there may be behind the scenes routines that these guys are on that they're worried about disrupting. Like I did see some people speculating that part of what was going on for Tyler Wells in his like disaster start was that he just had too much time off and he got off of his regular cadence. Um, And maybe that is more important. Um, But I do, I will say I do think that, I'm only comfortable bringing in a new starter if it is in some sort of 6-man um setup because yeah it like what are you going to do like take I mean this is weird to say but like I, I don't really know it I, I look at the current rotation including Rodriguez and it's not like there's one of those guys that I feel like is a bubble guy who could who should is maybe better suited for long relief um keep like irvin I, you know, in the long Col- relief spot yeah he seems i mean he pitched very well against the dodgers in middle relief he and did? if that is and he's left-handed which is an interesting look for a, a multi-inning middle reliever if that's like a solution in and of itself then i'm i'm good with that and and if that means you know and that probably also means he could spot start every once in a while mhm
1: mhm yeah, I think that that also changes the profile slightly so of what you would want when you went looking for a uh, uh, another arm. Like if, if the person that you're looking for could be a bit of a Swiss army knife, someone who could be somewhere between a starter and a long reliever and essentially a number six starter to push out and change people's rotations so that like every so often someone I don't exactly understand how rotations work like it's all kind of Greek to me and maybe actually you could argue that some (laughs) bad uh, outings against Tampa or sorry against the Dodgers were because they were coming off of like 10 days rest instead of their usual amount of rest so maybe this is all like actually messing with anything but I, I remember at the beginning of the season very early on like all of a sudden, uh, in like the first two weeks, all of our batters that we, uh, all of our pitchers' rotations were screwed up for different reasons. Someone got um, hurt, and someone left a, a, and like someone had to throw in crazy times. And I just remember it being like chaos, and everybody doing really well. Uh, and so I wonder, like, you know, do we put too do we put too much um, credence on the like? everything has to be on a routine. It has to be every five days. Everything has to be a standard operating procedure um, for, or or can bat pitchers actually be more flexible than that? Because if they can be more flexible, you'd really like to have fewer innings on everybody's arms. And I'm including Yanni or Cano, who's having like an all-star level season, but it's starting to like change how he's throwing slightly, according to Ben McDonald, from exhaustion. Like we we don't want that to be, a um a thing that we have to start dealing with in September because that's when we need everybody to be trim and fighting fit
0: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so here's the other question for you then Smith um do in as we talk about all this is pitching the only place where you think there's a conversation to be had do you want to see any changes to the lineup
1: I don't um I am a, uh, because of my ability to remember um, Adley's first couple of months with us, because of my ability to remember um, May when Gunnar Henderson was was struggling, um, I think we have built enough of a cushion that I think we can allow um Westberg and Kowser to continue to be um, bottom of the order players. I would rather have them in there getting their at-bats than a Mateo anyway. Um, And I would rather those people, uh, you know, continue to get the time that they need to develop as uh, uh, major league players um, rather than messing up their whole rotation by putting them back on the bench a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, I think I agree. It does not necessarily in this moment feel to me like there's some giant lineup hole that we need to fill. I am worried about like center field needs to coalesce. Like we need the, um, you know, the Aaron Hicks, Reclamation tour is not going to last forever, and Cedric's health seems to be a question mark. And Kowser at some point needs to kind of figure it out. Um, but that's not like red alert level, um, concerning. And it, it, as problems go, as you gear up for a playoff run, these are not bad problems to have, and I think as a note to end on Smith, we are going to have to come to terms with that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that the, um, the promise of, uh, an amazing, um, like exciting, complicated, um, uh, beautiful, um, like, you know, stocked farm system is that I think that we uh, we get to keep relying on them and we get to keep counting on their uh, viability and and um, that to me to all the things that we've been saying like I'd rather prejudice those guys continuing to like like each other and all those farm boys uh, you know they've all been playing ball together for a while and they like each other so when someone like Colton comes up he's not dealing with a bunch of um cold professional major leaguers he's dealing with his friends plus some cold professional major leaguers and i think that that like that helps the chemistry that all that can do is help that feeling of like these guys like each other they want to play with each other um you know the the uh the whole process of of culture mattering is only improved in in that in that world but sam I have a very important final question for you before we before we uh, let our Baltimore league leading, division leading excuse me division leading Baltimore Orioles go back and um, play another game in Tampa. Are you ready for my question?
0: I am. I am. I am. I'm on the edge of my seat. What would you call
1: former prospect Baltimore Orioles outfielder Henry Iruña, or was he more of a DH? Anyway, what would you call Henry Iruña? Uh, if he were um, spending some time uh, moonlighting on a um, wonderful Australian children's program that just happens to have released a series of new episodes uh, this week. Um, uh,
0: Is it... uh, Does it involve... Oh, God. Is it... Henry... Bluey Bluey Rudia, is that that
1: it? That is exactly it. And I'm impressed, Dingman, because you are uh, not someone who has a child, therefore you have not been exposed to the magic of Bluey uh, quite to the same level. But yes,
0: indeed, Henry Blue Rudia, uh, or Bluey Rudia, Bluey Rudia, we'll go with Bluey Rudia and go O's. Uh, But Smith, I I may not have been exposed to the magic of Bluey, but I have been exposed to the magic of Henry Rudia. (laughs) And such a magic it is. (laughs) Speaking of Oriole's magic we'll talk to you uh, next week when we're hopefully still in first place. Goodbye. Baltimoreans.